In Marvel's first Avengers movie, Natasha Romanoff tells Captain America that he shouldn't tangle with Loki or other folks from the realm of Asgard. They're pretty much gods, she says. Captain America tells her, there's only one god, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. <laughs> Great line. That was 2012. Now, a decade later, superhero movies and TV shows are loaded with weird dressing gods and demigods and even creatures of the dark. In Disney Plus's Moon Knight, our hero works with an Egyptian deity. In the movie Morbius, the protagonist is a vampire. And it seems like these superhero stories just aren't getting more murkily religious. They're getting darker and bloodier, too. What is a parent to do? Thankfully, we have some super experts to help us walk through these not-so-super issues. Hi, I'm Paul Acey, and I'm hosting this episode of The Plugged In Show. I'm joined by Bob Hoos, Kristen Smith, and Jonathan McKee. Uh, we'll sink our teeth into Morbius, cast a light on Moon Knight, and talk about superhero trends in general. And after that, we'll pry open the secrets of Dumbledore, the latest movie from the Harry Potter Fantastic Beasts franchise. Emily Clark will tell us everything we need to know. And then our very own Queen Ashley will grace us with her presence and lead us in another round of our pop culture connection game. But enough preamble. Let's begin. Superheroes have always had a whiff of spirituality to them, ever since mm. Superman first strapped on his cape. But lately the vibe feels different, at least to me. Let's take a look at Moon Knight, Disney Plus's newest show based on a Marvel superhero. Kristen, I know you've watched Moon Knight. I have too, and I realize what I'm asking is going to be surprisingly difficult. But who is this guy, Moon Knight? Yes. So we, we see this guy named Stephen Grant, and he works in a gift shop in a museum that's about Egypt, right? So you see all these artifacts and all that stuff. And he's this really timid guy. Um, and his second personality, if you will, is Mark Spector. Well, he doesn't know this at first. And so he starts to black out and a few days pass by and he has no idea what's happening as time passes. Um, and then he looks in the mirror one day and he sees his reflection not mimicking him. <laughs> um, and everything's dark and it's kind of like a horror set. <laughs> um, and so he, and he starts to hear voices too and it's the voice of Mark Spector. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, at the very end, he is there's this creature that's coming at Stephen Grant, and he doesn't know how to handle any of this stuff. And so Mark Spector basically tells him, look, you've been fighting me. You need to stop fighting me and let me take over your body so that I can handle this situation. Wow. And, yeah. <laughs> so that's Mark Spector. But Mark Spector is actually a mercenary. So you, it's like totally polar. So you have this guy who's like really timid and works in a shop and can't get any women. And then <laughs> all of a sudden he is a mercenary who has apparently tons of women on the side. Um, <laughs> no, he's married. He's married. Okay. Well, you, you certainly don't know that by yeah, the no, first you episode. Don't. In the first episode, you don't. That's yeah. true. Okay. And so anyway, Mark Spector, he actually serves um, the Egyptian god Khonshu, the god of the moon. And so when Mark Spector takes over Stephen Grant's body, he moonlights as Moon Knight. Oh, that's very Does nice. Does that make sense to everybody? I'm hoping, very right? Okay. Nice. <laughs> sure. Let's all have a collective, huh? Yeah. So this is the protagonist. So there's another dude involved in this, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the antagonist is yes. also in the service of some sort of Egyptian deity, right? Yes. So Arthur Harrow, who is played by Ethan Hawke, um, he is a cult leader. 
um, which actually fits, I feel like, his personality very well from every movie that I've ever seen. <laughs> He's a cult leader. Um, and he serves the Egyptian goddess Amit. And so his job, he has um, him and all of his followers have a scale on their arms. And his job is to basically weigh out if someone is righteous enough to continue to live. So this Egyptian goddess, she sees past, present, future. And when he weighs out this person to decide if they're able to live, um, it, it even includes the future. Right. So there's no grace right. in any of this. It's like, no grace. if you're going to do something terrible, <laughs> she knows you're and you're going to die. And so during the whole show... Arthur Harrow is trying to bring back this goddess into the present so that she can, you know, decimate Judge the population. Right? everyone. Kill them all. Yeah, yeah, it's a really creepy setup, it seems like. You know, when I watched it, I was surprised just by how how weirdly spiritual it all was. But, Very. But tonally, it's pretty dark, too, right? Yes, yeah. So the opening scene, Hoos and I were just talking about this. As soon as it starts, there's broken, some guy breaks glass and puts it in his shoes and then puts the shoes on and then slowly walks away. Um, it's super dark and I didn't know what was happening. And it's yeah. very unlike, you know, anything really we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe up till now. Um, I thought yeah. at least in, in its yeah. opening. And then, of course, as the show continues in the first episode, it's there are a lot of scenes that are very horror like. So this Egyptian god, Khonshu, I didn't know what he was. He was just he's just it's like this creature with like a beak and it's all. I don't know. Yeah, really super creepy. Very, very creepy. Very scary. It, yes. You mentioned that it had sort of this horror-like vibe. And it I, does. I would agree with mm -hmm. that. Almost the entire show that I've seen yeah. so far has these elements of horror in them. Mm -hmm. In, in mm. fact, it doesn't seem to paint a very clear picture about where it's going or what's actually happening, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, especially in the first episode, because that's all I've seen. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, it was so confusing and convoluted at times and i know that's part of the texture of what's right. going on here but um you know someone just stepping into this will probably be a little lost to yeah. begin with yeah and yeah. there's a scene like toward the end where um end of Mar the first episode yeah sorry where mark specter takes over stephen grant and it is a possession I, I don't even i think take over is too light a, a term like he is really being possessed by mark specter and then every time he's possessed by him Stephen Grant blacks out and he wakes up and there's like blood all over his hands and people are dead everywhere <laughs> yeah. because he's not the mercenary, right? And yeah. it's not clear that it's a personality that's taking over. It could be a spirit. It's right. true. It's you know. true. Well, and even in the second episode, you know, one of the things that Stephen Grant asks is, am I a demon? Are you possessing me? So yeah. he asks these yeah. questions really, really explicitly. Mm. Um, so Let's move just for a moment away from Moon Knight to a creature of the night. Mm. I'm talking about Morbius, of course, uh, who I know is essentially a vampire, right? Yeah. Um, but is he really? Can you unpack the movie for us a little bit, Bob? Well, there's not as much to unpack as uh, what <laughs> Kristen just gave us, uh, because this movie is actually pretty one-dimensional and bleh, but the, uh, which, which I guess is what they always did with vampires anyway, mm. blah, 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 um, and this one fits. Um, it's essentially a story about this guy who's a scientist, brilliant scientist, who has a blood disease. All his life, he struggled with this blood disease, and he's struggled to try and help people like him. Uh, and he's been working on a cure. And he finds one where he sort of combines uh, vampire bat DNA with human DNA and, you know, in, in injects himself and 
He's Poof. cured, but he's also cursed as a vampire because he's, <laughs> he turns into this creature, this really nasty-looking creature thing. I mean, mm. trust me, even though he's supposed to play like a good guy vampire, he's not a sparkling-in-the-sunlight vampire <laughs> who, who looks after his girlfriend. No, this is a, this is a good guy vampire that literally, every, when he gets angry, looks like he'd eat your face off. <laughs> you know, this is a, a nasty-looking bloodsucker. And he does have he does have um, the you know the powers uh, that you would expect from a vampire: super speed and strength. Right. And he can hear things from the other side of the city, that sort of thing. But I'm I'm guessing he doesn't have like the spiritual no, weaknesses. That's the thing. There's no spiritual aspect here at all. So hmm. if you hold a, a cross up to him, he'll he go, doesn't care. Oh, that's nice. Uh, and oh, wow. you know you can wrap him in silver chains, and it doesn't make any difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. So. See him in the mirror the whole bit. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, is and trust he... me, you don't want to see him in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I'm guessing that he's supposed to be a good guy in this movie, right? Kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he's he's the kind of guy that he fights against this thing that he's become. Right. And you know, once he realizes what he's done to himself, he thinks, I, I'm a monster, because he is. Uh, but it's also, he's not, you know, you talk about his weakness. His main weakness is the fact that if he doesn't drink enough actual human blood and it has to be human blood yeah um, i mean he has as a scientist has created this artificial blood but it is less and less effective as the movie goes on mm-hmm. but if he doesn't drink human blood then at some point he's going to go bonkers and kill everything with a heartbeat anywhere around him so that's not necessarily my definition of a good guy <laughs> uh, but that's that's his struggle yeah so would you call him an anti-hero yeah 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 in fact he um if you look back at the comic books, mm-hmm. when he first came in, into being, right. uh, he was a, a villain of Spider-Man's. And then as the thing oh. went along, because of the tragedy of his situation and the fact that you know th- he has no control of it, and uh, he became more of a sympathetic character, uh, a sympathetic anti-hero mm-hmm. that people, because he hated who he was. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems to me, we've talked about anti-heroes on this show yeah. before, right? But yeah. it always seemed to me that, that superheroes for a long time were a little bit of, a, of an exception to the rule. Yeah. yeah. But we're dealing with that more and more within the world of comic books and these movies. Yeah. Um, how do you guys feel about those murkier superheroes? Depends on who we're talking about. If it's Loki, thumbs up. <laughs> And I don't know that it should be. <laughs> I don't know it should. Like, I was thinking on the car this morning. I'm like, he's deceptive by nature, Kristen. What does that say about you? But whatever. I like him as a character. Um, if we're talking about Moon Knight, it's difficult because if he's compared to, like, the true villain in the show, sure. then I guess he is better, right? Right. He's helping to kill the bad guys. But he's also killing people. So, you know, where's mm. where's that line? And I think as... As we dive deeper into Marvel, it does seem to be getting darker. And more spiritual, too. It well, seems. yeah. But see, I look at this anti-hero thing right. from more of a, I guess, a cultural perspective. You know, our, our society was based on Judeo-Christian values 
you know, and our founders chose those not necessarily because they wanted us all to become Christians, but because they wanted it as a foundation, something that would that would continue. We could all agree on as a society Mm -hmm. and it could continually nudge us to do good things, to make moral choices. Mm -hmm. Okay, And and that's where I believe heroes and superheroes even came from. They're Mm -hmm. sort of sort of an amplification of those, those basic values. Yeah. Sure. And, and because if you look at classic superheroes, Superman, Wonder Woman, uh, Captain America, they all stand by a code. Yeah, exactly. Okay? A certain code, and they stand by it with every ounce of their strength. And, and then in turn, they also oppose the opposite. Yeah. Okay, it's very clear, right and wrong. That's very true. And I think with this new batch of anti-heroes, that's all gone. Yeah. You, you sort of wipe that away. And what happens when you get rid of that moral base? It becomes chaos. That's good. And, and it sort of represents, you know, in my mind, I think it's the filmmaker's ideas of what our culture is now and, mm. and the representation of what our culture is now, which is much more chaotic. Good. Well, it's interesting when you hit the rewind button on entertainment and you look at, you know, because on, on one hand, you could sit there and say, oh, I remember back, you know, when our, you know, our kids heroes were Roy Rogers, you know, and we think of like the, the good heroes with good values and this and that. But it is interesting when you just kind of hit the rewind button just a little bit. You look back like to 1995 uh, Pulp Fiction was up for best picture and the protagonists were these hitmen and. And Bob, you could tell us about video games that start. We started to have video games where the star was a hitman or a guy who walked around slashing people's throats and stuff. Um, you could rewind even a little bit further and go to the 80s when the Watchmen comic books came out. And it kind of gave us a glimpse of here's some superheroes that are just like us. They're all messed up and they've got you know messed up personal lives. You could hit the rewind button even farther. And let's go back to before movies to ancient Greek mythology and think of some of the stories about the different Greek gods and their love affairs and their like, you know, yeah. illegitimate child who ends up. I mean, it's like for a long time, people have been fascinated with, hey, what if the gods were as screwed up as me? And, <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I mean, this, this has been entertainment. I think one of the shocking things for us is we kind of maybe some parents felt like the Disney Channel used to be safe. And it's starting. It's like, OK, I don't know what to do with Wanda and all her spiritual powers and all this. I don't know what to do with, you know, the language and content and, and some of these Marvel films and now and it's like, okay, here's just a dark killer and he's the hero. Right. What do we do with this? Right. In, and that's a really great question. And I also think that as we delve into, you know, not only what do we do with these really problematic heroes, but the spirituality that we're seeing in some of these properties. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Greek gods, Jonathan, and, and I think about the Egyptian gods that we're seeing here. Mm. These are clearly not all loving, all powerful gods that as Christians we yeah. we, we believe in. Um, and they're discussed really pretty heavily in Moon Knight. They're discussed pretty heavily. I thought an interesting difference between Thor, because I thought about Thor, which is all in the God realm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. lighter and a little funnier. Mm-hmm. And so the whole vibe as you're watching the movie is just polar opposite to compared to watching this show. I mean, it is dark from the beginning. Everything that's talked about is dark. And, and death is the premise. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, Jonathan, I have a question for you. When you're looking at some of these some of these properties, you know, be it Moon Knight or be it Morbius or or be it, you know, even Eternals that we talked about in an earlier on an earlier show. um, How would you help walk a parent 
through these really spiritually heavy properties for their superhero loving kid? Well, honestly, the advice would uh, vary depending on the age of the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're talking about for their nine-year-old kid, it'd be like, hey, just, you know, hey, sorry, you know, there's some entertainment out there that just because it's out there doesn't mean we're all going to watch it as a family. And this puts the pressure on us as a parents because this is something we need to model. Something like go to bed so we can watch it, you know. And uh, <laughs> I mean, our kids are pretty smart. Um, if my 16-year-old wanted to watch this, Honestly, it gets to a certain point where there's certain, you know, there's some black and white stuff where you, it's just, hey, the answer is no. There's stuff like this that can, you know, within two years, you're going to be able to watch it by themselves anyway. This might be one to sit down and watch with them and see what discussions develop, talk about some of the spiritual issues, talk about the choices for right and wrong, start asking some big questions like, how do we really know what's right and wrong? Is it like this entertainment showing us? It's just whatever feels right at the moment? Or is there something greater out there that determines what right or wrong is? And we could have those discussions with older kids. But no, for our younger kids, it's a clear uh uh-uh. And you know, I I think we can, we as Christians, we see everything around us through a spiritual lens. Sure. Mm -hmm. Because our lives are based on this connection with God. Uh, But I don't necessarily believe that the people in Hollywood are thinking about it from a spiritual perspective at all. Uh, I mean, the fact is that they use the supernatural, yes, but they use the supernatural as more of a connection to power. Right. To explain these unexplainable abilities that these characters Mm. have. Like with with, with Moon Knight, you don't... I don't think that in spite of all the... Egyptian deity stuff in there. It's not like anybody there's, well, I'm a real believer in ISIS. Right. No, it's just that they're using that because it's a tool that they can use. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at, at the same time, we can still, at, because we're looking at it from a spiritual perspective, we can still address the topic and talk to our kids about those things. One of the things that, that struck me as we were talking was you mentioned no grace within this goddess Amet, and it yeah. feels like that could be mm. potentially an interesting springboard. If you decided to engage with Moon Knight, you know, dealing with this idea of prejudgment, and the idea of grace. Would you agree with that? I mean, you have children that are growing into this age. Is this something that you would engage when they get to be a certain age, or is it something that you would just shut off? I don't know. I mean, I feel like you grow as you parent, so I don't know how to really answer that question when they're older. But I do know that personally, I'm just really cautious about murky spirituality, about um, darkness in movies. Um, so I think uh, there are tons of questions that you can ask, tons of things that you can talk about with your kids. And I would agree with all of you and just say that it's something that would need to be at the forefront when you have the conversation or just be aware of it because it's in complete contrast to what we do believe. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's real clear cut in some cases, like in the Morbius thing, Mm -hmm. you know, you talk about darkness and blood flow. I mean, those things alone, even if you don't consider anything spiritual about it, just that dark, goopy junk in right. a film like this could easily have parents saying, let's stay away from this. Well, yeah. and I think it's really permissible for parents to just say no, you know, yeah. just to say, no, this is not fit for my child. This is not fit for my family. But I do think, you know, a point that Jonathan brings up again and again, and, and maybe where we, we can end this this section of the show, is the idea of always engaging with your kids. I think that these these movies, these TV shows, they tend to be Not the end all, but the starting point. When you engage with them, they need to be discussed. They need to be talked about. And 
as influential as entertainment is, parents are still way more influential in their kids' lives. And that's something we always have to remember. Thankfully so. The wizarding world of J.K. Rowling never seems to run out of stories. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore is the latest to land on the big screen. And it's no secret that the folks at Warner Brothers hope it does well. But just because Warner wants you and your family to see it, should you? Emily Clark is here to fill us in. Emily, tell us a little about the movie. This is long before Harry Potter enters the picture. Isn't that right? Yes, long before Harry is born or thought of, like his parents aren't even born at this point. Um, This is hinted at in the books, but it's, you know, Dumbledore's origin story, as it were. Um, And it's all about him and the legendary battle that he has with Galert Grindelwald. (laughs) Sorry, that is a difficult name to say, and I apologize if I butchered it. (laughs) But uh, yeah, Um, so yeah, this movie is just a continuation of the Fantastic Beasts movie. We've got Newt Scamander representing the Hufflepuffs. Uh, He is back again with all of his fantastical beasts, and they are chasing after Grindelwald. They are just trying to find ways to defeat him. In this particular one, uh, Grindelwald has actually uh, managed to rally the wizarding community to absolve him of his crimes that we saw in the crimes of Grindelwald Mm. and to elect him as the head of the International Confederation of Wizards. Wow. So he's basically trying to become wizarding Hitler. I I know that's like, but like if you watch this movie, there are things, there are just parallels to that whole time period that you will see it visually and you'll be like oh yep this is not hinted at this is exactly what they're trying to say like so it's really bad um and yeah and it's all about how they stop him and they don't defeat him unfortunately that's you know this is a five movie story arc so he's still around spoiler alert but um but it's good what you're doing is madness dumbledore with or without you i'll burn down their world There's nothing you can do to stop me. Do you really intend to turn your back on your own kind? I remember way back when, when Harry Potter first came out, and there were a number of parents going, hmm, I don't know about this wizarding stuff and magic. Oh, parents are still saying that. Well, that's what I'm going to ask, because it feels to me like this Fantastic Beast series is much darker, much more in the realm of that dark magic that parents were always afraid of with Harry Potter. You know, this is what I'll say. Um, I think that as the Harry Potter books and movies went on, it progressively got darker because as the characters got older, they could handle darker themes. So the books did get darker the more you went on in that series. Fantastic Beasts is kind of doing the same thing. The more you watch, the darker it gets. There are some things that happened in this particular movie. You know, there there's some blood and guts that I was not expecting. And wow. I was like, there's a little, yeah, there's a little That's more gore weird. in this one. Well, it, this is because one of the Fantastic Beasts is not so fantastic. <laughs> Emily, I got a question for you as someone who has not seen this second one. When my wife and I saw the first one, we really enjoyed like the beasts and the story and stuff. But one thing that kind of gave us a sour taste was that this film, the Fantastic Beats series, as opposed to Harry Potter series, see, you know, it had the same elements that kind of made me, you know, I felt like they were slightly problematic, which is, you know, witches are the good guys. And is this going to get, you know, kids 
possibly interested in witchcraft because it, you know, I mean, it's it's like the core of the story. Well, in the first Fantastic Beasts, they even had like this religious character, and she was like the most mm-hmm. evil, terrible person. Yep. And, and honestly, it was kind of like, oh, the person who's you know has any concept of religion. She's bad, and look how evil she is. Where all these witches are all good, and and they even the witches even met in this room. And one time they're like standing on this pentagram, and I, I was like, man, this seems like it's just pushing a little far. I would have definitely, if I had kids in the home, you know, been a little concerned with that one. Did this movie kind of go that same route? Um, so you don't get the return of any religious characters in the second or the third film. That was pretty much just something that they put in the first film. Um, but you do, so Grindelwald's whole thing is that magic, basically they call it for the greater good. And his whole thing is about how wizards should rule, um, muggles as they're called in England or nomads as they're called here in the U S it's all about how wizards should rule over non-magical people basically. And so that's just kind of the theme of, of Grindelwald and, what you have is you have bad wizards who are like, yeah, we're all about that. And then you have good wizards who are like, no, they're people. We can't do that, you know? So Interesting. So I, uh, as we talk, I realize that we're maybe, maybe we haven't addressed the big, not so fantastical beast in the room. Uh, one of Dumbledore's secrets. That is uh, not a secret. <laughs> 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 yeah, so tell us a little bit about it. Okay. Something officially happens with, with Dumbledore's character here, right? It, yes, and so um, fans of the series will remember that I think it was when the sixth movie came out, uh, J.K. Rowling said that Dumbledore was gay. And so up until now, it hasn't actually been evidenced in any of the movies or books in the sense that we haven't gotten a direct line that says he is. But in this movie, he does admit that he was in love with Grindelwald. Mm -hmm. And it is very clear that it was a romantic love. Yeah. So, yes, that is the secret of Dumbledore. That is not so secret. The reason he couldn't fight Grindelwald for so long was partially because he was in love with him. So this isn't necessarily, this isn't just a line in the movie. This is a it's part a of the, it's a theme. Yeah. So parents need to be definitely aware of that as, yeah. they, as they decide whether to, to engage with this, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So are there any other things that, that parents really need to be aware of here? Really? I think I would just bring back what I was saying earlier about how there was some, a little bit of gore and violence in this one. Um this is a darker series, and so there's a lot more death, and some of those deaths are a little scary. The The Fantastic Beast I was talking about, it's, um, let me just say this, if you don't like scorpions, you're not going to like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that's the closest animal I can think of that it represents, but... Um, and then, you know, uh, the other thing that I just want to bring up, because it always comes up in the Harry Potter movies, this is magic. Right. It is not... Uh, quite as occultish as other forms of magic. The wizards and witches in this film are born with their abilities. They don't get it from summoning demons or anything like that. There's nothing demonic, but it is magic. And so if that's not your family's thing, then you're not going to want to watch it. But you probably already knew that. So, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Man, thank you so much for letting us know, Emily. Thank you very much. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show, Pop culture connection wherein our producer Ashley asks us questions that she pulls right out of a hat. 
We have 30 seconds to answer, giving as many reasons as we can for why we answered the way we did. Ashley will then determine the winner, which will be me, and give her or him a fantastic <laughs> gift of some kind. Mm. So, yes, for those in the audience, you can't see Kristen, but she is just grimacing right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the worst part, guys. Uh, this one's going to be easy. This week I have some either-or questions. Oh, so you oh okay, that's fun. You make your choice, and then you give us reasons why you made that choice. Okay. Great. All right. So first up, let's do Emily. All right. Ooh. All right, so your either-or question. Classic rock or classical music? I'm gonna go with classical music. I love classic rock, but with classical music, it is something that I can listen to with anybody. I don't have to worry about bad lyrics. I don't have to uh, wonder if, you know, something's gonna pop up that's just like a little too loud for other family, older family members, <laughs> or even, you know, little little babies and stuff. They don't like loud noises either. Um, I just, I think it's one of those things where, you know, Oh, uh, I had so many good points. Nice. I just wasn't talking fast enough. Well, no worries. <laughs> I got four on that one. But okay, that, that I'll was, take it. That was a very Jonathan, plugged in answer. Very plugged in answer. Four? Were you giving two points uh, a point there? <laughs> Please score me that way. No, my uh, next thing was going to be basketball? about musical scores for movies and TV shows. But nice. Oh. All right. Our next one, Mr. Hoos. Okay. All righty. <laughs> We'll give you a good one here. I feel Out a little more hat. confident watching Hoos because he's so chill. Yeah. Okay. I think. <laughs> All it's right. Because the brain is he shut down. It's just... Here we go. Deadpan. Time machine or magic wand? Time machine. And the reason is that you can go back in history and you can relive the past and find things that you did wrong and maybe write them as you, as you do so. Uh, time machine for... Uh, seeing events from the past that are really cool. Time machine for uh, just correcting those mistakes you made on your test a half an hour ago. Uh, time machine <laughs> for going into the future and finding out just how incredible all your family members have become. Ah, nice. I got That's five fair. on that, that one. Was, that, that was that was good. Yeah, that was a fair five. But I'd be worried about going back and correcting things. And yeah, the grandfather paradoxes. paradox. Yes. Well, you know, I would totally invest in Apple. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. That's right. Damn, it's the oh, only thing nice. you change. You just go back and invest. <laughs> nice. You're so rich. All right, Jonathan, you are up. Yes. Same. And here we go for you. Board games or video games? definitely do board games because board games are something you can play as an entire family. Grandma and grandpa can play board games. You get little pegs where you get to argue about which color they are. You uh, can fight over them more because you're standing there in person face to face, which by the way is another reason being face to face with your family. You can eat without spilling on your electronics. They're made of cardboard and help the cardboard industry. Uh, they're also uh, great because they cause yelling and fighting and it helps you work out issues. You know, it's funny. 
like, I feel like half like of his points industry. were things that could apply to like the video game industry. Also, I'm not sure that the cardboard industry is something we want to promote. I love, I love <laughs> the idea that you would argue over colors to your little pegs. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, Jonathan, I got six for you. Good job. You know, I don't know if we should just exclude Jonathan from this game. He's it just too way good. too good. I would have never thought about the cardboard industry. I'm a little bitter, <laughs> Jonathan. <laughs> the cardboard I don't industry. think the cardboard industry needs help, though. That's kind of my point. I'm like, is that really a point? <laughs> All right, Kristen, you're up. We're going to save Paul for last. Oh, goodness. You All got right. this, Kristen. Defeat Jonathan. Kristen, Shakespeare or opera? Oh, Shakespeare, 100%. I had an excellent teacher in college who made it all come alive uh, because of Macbeth, because of Lear, because of, can I just do this, right? Okay, <laughs> do it. There's like tons of characters, right, that they're all dark, but then there's always some kind of light, usually, in at least one character. Um because of the way it's written, because of how compelling the characters are, because of, oh my gosh, the, the poetry. The poetry is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, feel, I feel like that's nice a solid job. nine. Okay. I got eight. <laughs> eight. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan, stop counting. Stop your counting. We gave you one for the cardboard industry. <laughs> you better double mine. Nice. Oh, eight. Wow. Oh, All right. And Paul. All righty. Here we go. Here we go. So I have I have to beat nine? Eight. I was apparently eight. Okay. You need nine to I win. I need right. nine. That was the best question no I've had so far. No sweat. I can't lose to Kristen. I cannot lose to Kristen. I hope well, you, you can. Too. <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> Whether right. or not you will is a different question. <laughs> I'm going to count them all. Flintstones or the Jetsons? Oh, the Jetsons by far, because you've got that cute little robot who does all the cleaning. I really like Astro the dog. The flying cars are fantastic with the little domes over the top. Mm -hmm. You have those little sidewalks that take you wherever you go. The boss was nicer, I think, in the Jetsons, actually. I think that you had a lot more travel possibilities in the Jetsons world than you do in the Flintstones world. I think you would get lots of blisters using those stupid cars in the Flintstones. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Well, I actually tied Kristen and Paul. What's the tiebreaker? (laughs) What's a tiebreaker? Kristen can't stand losing you guys. (laughs) I'm also very competitive. That's something I'm not very good at. That's fine. Uh, I say we declare both of you the winners this week. All right. I don't do participation trophies. You can have it. (laughs) There you go. There you go. That's awesome. Well, (laughs) well, well, thanks so much for joining us today. And since we're all about secrets today, we invite you to share some of your own. What do you think about mixing superheroes and spirituality? Can vampires be good guys? Will your family be seeing secrets of Dumbledore? And if so, how will you navigate it? Send us your thoughts by owl. Or, barring that, chime in on Facebook or Instagram or ship us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. Okay, I'm going to take over here. Thanks for listening, guys. In fact, we'd like to thank you with a gift. Send us a gift of any amount, and we'll send you Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0. And it's good. <laughs> it's so nice of you, Kristen. You can find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on our Plugged In blog entry for today's show. Or you can call 800-A-FAMILY. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope to meet up with you soon again for another episode of The Plugged In Show. Plugged In.